Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. If you want to read this podcast, there is a complete 2,000-plus word narrative on our website, rickthomas.net. You're welcome to go there, and you can read everything that I'm going to share with you, and you can share it with all of your friends. I'll give you the title in just a moment, but I want to ask you a question. For those of you who are married, here's the question. Do you hate yourself? Think about that for a moment. Do you hate yourself? Spouse, do you hate yourself? Let me ask it another way. Do you dislike your spouse? Now, I have asked you the same question two different ways. The first way was, do you hate yourself? And then I asked, do you dislike your spouse? You see, if you struggle with your wife, you struggle with yourself because you're not two individuals, but one flesh. To hate your spouse is to hate you because you are one person, not two. Whatever your thoughts are right now, about your spouse, or whatever your thoughts were yesterday or last week, whatever they were, they reveal how you think about yourself because you and she are one. And I know some people listening to this podcast thus far saying, hey, hey, what about the wife? What about that woman that I married? Doesn't this apply to her? Yes, of course it does. I'm going to trust that the Spirit of God will do what the Spirit of God does. And He brings conviction to whomever, the person that needs His conviction, convicting power. And I'm going to trust that if a wife is listening to this podcast and she needs to hear the words that I'm sharing, that I can rest that the Spirit of God will trust. And so, yes, this can apply to the wife. But the reason that I'm talking specifically and directly to men is because of the text that I'm going to share with you. Here it is, Ephesians 5.29. Paul said, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And in this passage of Scripture, Paul is talking specifically and directly to men. And because I am using this text in an application way, I am talking specifically and directly to men. Of course, again... I pray that many women, many wives will listen to this and say, Oh my, the thoughts that I have toward my husband are the thoughts that I have toward myself because we are not two people, but we are one. But again, I'm talking to us, me, a husband, you, if you're married, a husband. If you're not married, you're thinking about getting married, you hope to be married someday, then let this be a primer of sorts as you prepare for that hopeful, wonderful day when you will be a husband and you will have, you will add somebody to your flesh. So I've titled this podcast and that article that I referred to earlier to be the man. You must nourish and cherish your wife. You want to be the man? Well, if you want to be the man, then this is what real men do. They nourish and they cherish their wives. Let me illustrate this idea of a twisted fella who hates himself. I want to use a weird story, and whenever I have weird stories that I want to share with you, I either bring Biff and Mabel up uh, for us to talk about, and so we'll have Biff here today because this applies to him 
Here's my weird story to illustrate what Paul says. Nobody ever hated himself, hates his own flesh. Biff does not like himself. Early in the mornings, he will stand in front of the mirror and put himself down. Whenever someone criticizes Biff, he will chime in by providing three or four other negative things that the critiquer did not know. From all accounts, Biff has a low view of himself. Sometimes he will be in a conversation with someone, and without any discernible provocation, he starts rolling his eyes and calls himself ignorant. The other day, he left a conversation with someone uh, huffing under his breath. When I asked him about it, he, he said that he had said something dumb, and he got angry with himself. With an almost hopeless resignation, Biff says that he can't believe some of the things he says and does. It's quite easy for Biff to be self-critical. Biff doesn't like himself. If you mentioned three or good thing, three or four good things that he did, he would come back with ten areas where he got it wrong. It makes you wonder why he would even try. Biff spends time thinking or talking about himself critically, and when he does that, you know that one thing will always happen. He just doesn't have happy thoughts about himself. Now, that's my weird story. And perhaps you're listening to this and you're thinking, is this a true story? This narrative is quite odd. Biff must have a disorder of some sort to hate him so much. He's weird. Well, you're right. And you may be somewhat suspicious or even puzzled by my story, but I can assure you that it is 100% authentic, and it happens millions of times a day with millions of people since sin interrupted the bliss of the garden life that Adam and Eve enjoyed. Let me explain my story about Biff, who hates himself, critiques himself, rolls his eyes at himself. If you mention three things that are right, he'll bring ten things that are wrong. It's really quite simple. It's quite logical. It's quite biblical. And sadly, it's quite common. It is the text that I mentioned, 529. Ephesians, Paul said it this way, No one ever hated his own flesh. Well, obviously, Biff hates hates his. Paul said, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. You see, in the Ephesians text, Paul is clear to say that there is something wrong with a person who hates himself. There is something clearly wrong with Biff. He's so critical of himself. He rolls his eyes and huffs under his breath and says unkind things to himself. This universal truth is why you find it hard to believe that Biff dislikes himself so much. How can it be? To hate yourself is weird. Paul agrees. Quote, no one ever hated his own flesh. From a Christian worldview, we understand that when a man and a woman come together for marriage, they become one flesh. They are no longer two separate entities, but they have agreed. They made a covenant with God that they would be one. You see, in Genesis 2.24, it says it this way, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. If you are married, do you hate yourself? Let me ask it another way. Do you 
dislike your spouse. Now, you can't apply this to the wife. Wife, do you hate yourself? One of the ways that you can assess this question is by asking it this way. Do you dislike your spouse? If you do, you hate yourself. To the degree and as often as you dislike your spouse. Take some time to think about what I just shared with you. Think about it from a Christian worldview perspective. The future hope and health of your marriage hangs on you on how you think about and respond to this idea of hating yourself. May I be honest with you? I've hated myself on many occasions. And each time that I do, I am just as biblically insane as I have described Biff to be. Whenever, whenever I get angry, frustrated, critical, or other forms of hate toward my wife, I hate myself. Paul says this self-defeating attitude is wrong. Now, fortunately, he does not leave us with the negative, but teaches us how not to hate or how to stop hating ourselves by saying that we, husbands, are to nourish and cherish our wives. When Bill and Mabel came to see me for help, I sketched out a picture of what nourishing and cherishing should look like for them, and then we talked about it. We have over 120 infographics on our membership site. You can access those, but here's the backstory to all of those 120 plus infographics is every single one of them came out of a counseling session. Every one of them were sketches that I drew out that goes back as far as 20 years ago where I used to sketch out on uh, printing paper and then later I sketched out on my iPad. But all these were chicken scratch sketches infographics and I turned them into more presentable electronic infographics and put them on our member site and we have 120 plus of them that are sitting there for our supporting members. But I have one here in this article. I sketched out what it means to nourish and cherish yourself according to what Paul was teaching in Ephesians 5.29. And if you want to see this picture, I would encourage you to go to this article on our website to be the man you must nourish and cherish your wife. To nourish is to grow. That's what it means. The meaning of to nourish means to grow. Biff's job is not to hate his wife, but to grow her. One of the ways a husband will be able to discern and evaluate and assess how he leads his wife is by how he grows her. What does her growth look like as it pertains to his care? The most significant and most essential growth category of a wife is her spiritual life, since her spiritual life is the foundation of everything else in her life. Therefore, one of the ways a man can serve his wife is by assisting her in her walk with God to grow her spiritually. Now, I am aware that a wife can grow spiritually without the man's help. I get it. And sadly, many wives... It's the only way they're going to grow spiritually because their men aren't serving them that way. 
but the truth still remains that it is the husband's responsibility to help grow, to nourish his wife, and the most important way that he can help her is in the spiritual side of things because our relationship with God is foundational to everything that we do. If the man really likes himself, then he will be diligent, he will be discerning, and he will be determined in nourishing or growing his wife so that she can manifest and enjoy a bountiful crop for her benefit and God's glory. And so to grow or to nourish means to grow. Some men will listen to this and they may present an argument along these lines. And I've heard this so many times and that's why I'm inserting it right here. They're going to say, my wife is not responsive no matter what I do. She won't grow. Now, there may be some truth to the argument. In that, she is resistant to his shepherding care. But that should never be a showstopper to his gospel-centered missional advancements. This perspective is where the gospel becomes essential in our motive, in our thinking, and enabling power for helping a person change. One of the verses that I use in response to the man that says, my wife basically is ungodly and not willing to respond to my soul care endeavors. The text I, one of the texts I like to use is Romans 5.8 that says, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, still sinners, the text says, Christ died for us. I am sure some women are just plain difficult to live with inside the marriage. Some of these women are bitter and angry and critical and dismissive and generally unappealing. Their life has not turned out the way that they wanted. They have their issues, and Christ is not the animating center of their thinking and their behaving. I do understand that a wife can be a sinner too, but the gospel informs me that though I may not be as bad as she is, there was a time when I was that bad and probably even worse than she is now. The gospel needs to inform your thinking, especially if your wife is not responding to your genuine and gentle care. If you were honest, you know that no matter how evil your spouse is, she is not worse than you apart from the grace of God. Can any of us take the high road and say that we are better than the person we married? I hope not. Because if you do, that's self-righteousness that is devoid of the gospel. If you do believe you are better than anyone, especially your spouse, apart from the grace of God, I recommend you march right back to the cross and take in the horrors of that scene and remind yourself that those horrors happen because of you. It may be an overused expression, but it is true when someone said that all of the ground at the cross is level ground. There are no degrees of righteousness. And no matter what your spouse has done, she or he is not worse than you are. Believing, experiencing, and applying this kind of gospel understanding must be the starting point in any relationship. If not, 
that relationship will not endure. Now, perhaps you need to go through and, and read the center part of this article again, what I've just been sharing with you, because it is so easy to feel elevated above the person that we married, especially when they are not responding the way that we wanted them to respond. And if you don't march right back to the cross and take in the horrors of that scene and remind yourself that those horrors happened because of you, you'll start becoming like the, the man in the temple in Luke 18, looking down on that pitiful publican. It was your sin. It was my sin that put the glorious Son of God on the cross. The cross is the perfect perspective changer. Viewing life through the lens of the cross brings all impossibilities into the realm of the possible. God reconciling himself to sinful humanity is the absolute height of impossibility. Nothing has ever surpassed the degree of difficulty that the cross implies. And the cross is the bar that the Father is calling us to emulate. In Matthew 18.33, about the man who was forgiven 10,000 talents, beating up the guy who owed 10 denarii, in 18.33, the, ta- the master said, Should not you have had mercy as I had mercy on you? Maybe you can paraphrase that verse this way. Should you not have had mercy on your spouse as I had mercy on you? In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, All this is from God, and through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul does not tell us precisely what it means to grow or to cherish your wife, but it is possible to speculate while not going out of bounds biblically. For example, I said that to grow your wife is best exemplified by helping her to grow spiritually. And the Bible would support this since it tells us that the two greatest commandments are to love Love God, love others in Matthew 22. These are spiritual imperatives, to love God and to love others. I'm sure you could come up with many more spiritual imperatives in addition to these two greatest ones. But then Paul conjoins his grow appeal to a cherish appeal, to grow and cherish your spouse. We are to cherish our wives which literally means we are to make warm. We are to warm them up. Now, I suppose you could interpret this as giving them a hug on a cold winter's night. That would be a good start for sure. But if you don't live in a place that ever gets cold, that interpretation will be lacking and it will definitely be frustrating. Just like To grow has a spiritual dynamic to it. To cherish also has one. Now, the main reason that I say this is because of the context of Paul's appeal. The context, the center here, the text that I've been sharing with you, 529. In Ephesians, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. 
though I'm sure that there is a bumper sticker on a car somewhere that says something like, have you hugged Jesus today? That is not what Paul was talking about in the text. Christ is not hugging people today, but we are called to warm our wives just as Christ did. So what does that mean? I think it would be good for you to give some prayerful consideration to what that means. I suspect as as you think about and pray about how to treat your wife, I believe that the Holy Spirit will illuminate your mind with how you can respond to her. And if he does this for you, which he will because he gives grace to the humble. And so if you humble yourself and ask the Spirit of God, how can you grow and nourish your wife? In this case, we're talking about nourishing, how you can warm your wife. He will give you the illumination that you need if you humble yourself. It will only be a matter of obedience then as to whether or not you will model Christ by warming her practically. Here is an additional thought, something for your consideration. Since your wife is unique, one of the best things you could do is ask her how you could best warm her. Now, you'll have to walk her through the context. You'll have to walk her through this podcast. Maybe you could read this article together, read it with her, and then you get down to this point, at this point in the article, and say, baby, how can I best warm you? Guess what? I suspect she's thought about this. Now, maybe she doesn't have it in these words, but I suspect she has an answer to the question. After you ask your unique wife how you can best warm her, and after she responds to you and you write those things down or commit them to memory, let me give you three other recommendations of how you can warm your wife Number one, regularly confess your sins to her. That will warm up a wife. Now, wives, you can do the same for your husbands. Only Christians can do this. Walk out repentance I'm talking about. It is one of the biggest perks of the gospel. Imagine living in a relationship where God removes the sins of conflict Anger and hurts. Imagine living in that kind of relationship. That will warm up any couple. And one of the quickest ways to warm up a wife is to remove the things that are between you and her. The way you do this is through repentance. How cool is that? Not to repent of your sins against your spouse. is like It's like having food and not eating it. It's nonsensical not to be regularly confessing, forgiving, and actively reconciling with your spouse. It's nonsensical to have food before you and not eating it. Christians have the ability and the privilege to repent, and if we're not confessing and forgiving and actively reconciling with our spouses, it is nonsensical because that's the best spot remover known to man. And so one suggestion on how you can warm your bride regularly, confess your sins to her. Number two, talk to her. Now I realize that confession is talking, but talking is more than a confession. 
Being silent in a marriage is one of the worst things a spouse can do. Too many husbands believe that being vulnerable and transparent goes against our football-centric Americanized view of what a macho man should be. These kinds of men do not see weakness as a strength. And guess what? Their insecurities, they're really weak anyway, even though they hide it. Their insecurities hinder them from fully trusting God's anti-culture form of communication. God's anti-culture form of communication means you need to be talking. He calls us to be a transparent people, not hiding our weaknesses and failures, but honestly admitting them when they occur. God works through weakness, not strength. He will not compete with you strength on strength. He will only work through you when you are weak. Be humble. Be open. Be honest. Be transparent. Vulnerable. Be kind in how you speak to your spouse. Humility is guaranteed to warm her up. One of the ways that you can warm her, regularly confess your sins. A second way, talk to her. Third way, pray with her. Though confession, confessing your sins, and talking, talking to her, are forms of communication, prayer is a specific and different kind of communication. Prayer is a triangulated communication that happens between a husband, his wife, and God. I've often recommended to a couple to sit on the end of their bed, holding hands, talking to God, and talking to each other. Though it is a simple thing, it can have a profound benefit in a one-flesh union. If you want to read this podcast, I would love for you to do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net, N-E-T. The title of it is, To Be the Man, you must, nourish and, you must Nourish and Cherish Your Wife. I also have three other articles here. In fact, I take this idea of nourishing and cherishing it and and practicalize it even more in another article here. It's embedded in this one. It's titled, What Does It Mean to Nourish and Cherish Your Wife? And so what I'm doing is I'm flowing right out of this podcast into another one. It's already done. It's complete. You can listen to that podcast and you can read that podcast. It's linked here and I would encourage you to do it. I have two other uh, links here, two other resources for you as well. In addition to this infographic that It's a picture that you can visually look at this idea of what it means to warm, to cherish, and to grow, to nourish your wife. One final point that I want to make to you about this idea of communication. I've illustrated it with you three different ways. Confessing your sins to your wife. Talking to your wife. Praying with your wife are three ways that you can communicate. There is a similarity in all of these warming activities, and they all require talking. But not just speaking for talking's sake, but specific kinds of talking. It's communication that gets to the heart of who two people are. There is talking, there are words, there is speaking, there is communication, 
But then there is this koinonia, this biblical fellowship where you're talking at a deeper and spiritual level. It's transparent talking that tightly unites two people to each other and to God from the inside out. God is a talking God, and it is His words that increase our faith and motivates us to follow Him. If God was not a speaking God, if He did not give us His words that we could follow and shape our lives by, we would be as blind men groping in the dark. Husband, your wife can be blind that way because you are not bringing your insight, your care, your shepherding to her. And again, I'll give you this caveat. I know that wives can grow spiritually on their own, but in the confines, in the covenant of marriage, there is a responsibility. This is a plus. This is a benefit. This is an asset that God gives to the wife And by the way, it does work the other way. My wife is my greatest asset outside of God as she makes me be better than what I could possibly be alone. When a man becomes a specific kind of biblical talking man, God will use his Bible-centered speech patterns to grow and to warm his wife and her heart will begin to yearn to follow him. Don't be like Biff, as Paul says. Let me paraphrase. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ loves the church or just as Christ does the church. You don't want to be like Biff. Love yourself. Go hug your wife today. Thanks for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.